0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. The way we do baby dedications is, uh, actually I learned it from Wayne Kuna. He takes a name and he finds where it came from and, and we build a blessing off of that. And that's something very important in the Bible. Names are really important. And so we have Georgiana Fay. Georgiana is actually from the Greek. It means the feminine form, so a woman who tills the soil. She's a little farmer. <laughs> you can see the, word, the root word geo in there, like geography, right? So Georgiana. And Fay is Middle English for little fairy, and it's contracted to mean faith. And so she does look like one, doesn't she? How beautiful she is. Proverbs 31.6 talks about the... Um, I sadly say the ideal woman. (laughs) It says that she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. And so it's our prayer that Georgiana will grow up to be that Proverbs 31 woman. So, Georgiana. May you be a woman of faith and love who cultivates the hearts of those around you to produce the fruits of joy and peace. May you perpetually stand for what is right sowing generously in season with trust and hard work so that you may reap bountifully whatever it is you entrust into God's good hands. May you always look to your heavenly Father as the source of your increase, rejecting self-will and embracing grace. Trust in God and sow the seeds of faith and righteousness that you may reap a 30, 60, and 100-fold increase, a reward in this life and in heaven in the next. May others look to you for faithful provision and relational sustenance, and in turn, may you fill them with the word of God. Father, I pray this blessing upon Georgiana and ask that you would work through Kevin and Rachel to help this child cultivate a deep love for Christ in this baby's heart. May she grow to be a strong woman of God who trusts you for the results of her labors. We pray, Father, that you would plant the seed of faith in this little girl and that one day soon it would sprout into songs of joy and salvation when she trusts in your son, Jesus Christ, for her eternal destiny. Let Kevin and Rachel's love for Georgie be a shining testimony of your love, both for this dear girl and for her parents. Bless this family and their dedication to raise Georgiana in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as their family of faith, so do you promise to support Kevin and Rachel as they nurture Georgie in the trust and obedience of Jesus Christ spiritually, relationally, and generously? If you do, say, we promise. We promise. As those charged with passing the faith and the fear of the Lord to the next generation of worshipers, do you promise to always point Georgie to Christ? We and do you, teaching her to obey the Lord and trust in his word? If you do, say, We promise. now may you go in peace may you raise that little girl as being a christ lover amen amen god bless you guys have a seat now the rest of the little ones can go to kingdom kids celebrate in room 232 and those of you who are visiting who might have kids in children's ministry uh, you can pick them up after the service from 232 Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithfulness. According to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in secret you'll make wisdom known to me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And wipe out all my guilty deeds create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will be converted to you save me from the guilt of bloodshed God The God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, so that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. Many of us know that most gas station pump nozzles are color-coded, right? So what color is unleaded? Really? Unleaded is black. And this is illustrative, and green is diesel, according to most gas stations. And sometimes they're of different sizes, right? You try to put the big nozzle in the little hole, it doesn't work because it's not the right fuel for the car. What is frightening, and what I've learned through my research this week, is that there is no industry standard. So the fact that some of you said green, and some of you said black, and sometimes nozzles are exactly the same size is scary. One time we were in uh, the Upper Peninsula on vacation, and Elaine and I went to a gas station to get gas, and I knew I was really out there when it said, please pay after pumping. And so I said, okay, and I put the nozzle in the car, and I had forgotten something, so I ran to go get it. It was probably my credit card. And I came back, and I realized I had the diesel nozzle in my unleaded car. I had not depressed the lever yet. But for those of you who are mechanically inclined know that you cannot put diesel in an unleaded engine and you cannot use unleaded fuel in a diesel car because they're designed two separate ways unleaded fuel works off of the principle of compressed fuel and a spark which therefore then ignites the fuel and drives the motor whereas diesel it works differently it fills the cylinder and the cylinder compresses the diesel to such a point that it raises the temperature and ignites the diesel thus providing the propulsion for the car. They're designed very differently. The same thing is with us. How we are designed, what are we designed to function off of? How are we supposed to be energized? I mean, doesn't it ever feel like you're walking through life and you just can't get all of your cylinders firing at the same time? It feels as if maybe there's another fuel within you that's mixing with the pure fuel of God's grace. And you just can't get things in line, whether it's in your mind, whether in your heart, your behavior, or even your worship. You see, everyday worship, this is what we're talking about today, and for the last you know, eight or nine weeks we've been discussing, in fact, all summer. But everyday worship is fueled by grace. This is something that we really need to understand well because all other fuels will fail. And you're going to ask me what fuels am I talking about. We're going to discuss that today. I'm hoping that you will see through the course of this message that there are things you're trusting in. There are fuels that you're seeking energy from that are teaching you and moving you to worship in a wrong way. We spend a lot of time trying to find fuels for our hearts and our mind, apart from God's intended fuel, which is his grace. But if we do, we'll end up living lives that, if you pardon the puns, will sputter, stall, and give off noxious smoke to those around us. So today we're in Psalm 51. I'm preaching out of the NASB. We were going to have it up here on the screen, but alas, we do not. And so there's NIV in the uh, pulpit bibles and so you're going to notice as we're going through and i want all of you to go through with me because we're going to go line by line through this psalm. i want all of you to recognize that there will often be different words but i'm going to seek to go back to the hebrew to show you what david here is talking about so let's look at psalm 51 together starting from the beginning it says for the choir director a psalm of david when nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into bathsheba so, this psalm is a situational psalm. It's written after a specific time. This is when David, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, um, has a sexual inter- relationship with Bathsheba. Um, many of you know the story. David should have been in the field fighting with his men. And instead, he looked out the window and saw a beautiful woman. He uses his power to get the men under his command to go get her, and she comes. They end up having sex together, and and she gets pregnant. In order to hide the pregnancy, David, instead of coming clean at that moment and admitting his guilt, seeks to cover his sin. And he tells the captain of his army to send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, a faithful and good man, to the most... First, he says, "Come, bring him home, give him some leave. Hopefully, he'll have intercourse with Bathsheba, and we can cover it up. We can say that his kid is, you know, my kid is his kid doesn't work he's too good of a man so David then tells the captain of his guards to send him out to the fiercest fighting where he would surely die and he did and he did about a year later after everything was supposed to be covered up I guess Nathan a prophet comes to David and tells a story about a man who had nothing but a little lamb he loved and cared for that lamb and another man who had any lamb he wanted a thousand lambs took that little lamb away and he asks David, "What should be done with that man?" And David goes off and says, "You know, everything he has should be taken from him. And he should be killed." And David says, "You are that man." And, and Nathan tells David, "You are that man." And God, through the prophet Nathan, drives this dagger into David's heart. And the sum of that, the result of that moment, is the psalm that we read today. Isn't that amazing? We're reading a, a, an apology, a confession. From someone who sinned greatly you know to understand the context of what david is saying even further it's going to be helpful for us to understand exactly what david is confessing he's confessing in this psalm that he's an adulterous lust-filled murdering liar who shirked his responsibility to lead his men in battle and used his god-given position of authority to manipulate circumstances to kill an innocent and righteous man was loyal to him all while putting the entire nation of israel at risk now we've been doing a a book study that seems to dig seeks to dig dig deeper into this story and the sum, at least the author says this and i think there's good reason that because david used his power that it may be much more closer to rape than adultery to rape than adultery so, we would not be unjustified to perhaps add rapist to the list. This is a man who many of us watch the news and say, throw away the key. He doesn't deserve anything that he has, not his position of power, as we see in the news today, nor ever again. He's canceled. Yet David comes before God in this moment of repentance, and he opens in verse 1 like this Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my guilt. The first principle from this morning that we need to understand is we need to fuel our forgiveness with God's grace. We need to fuel our forgiveness With God's grace. David's entire approach, the first word, be gracious to me, henani, be gracious to me, show me favor, have mercy upon me, Lord God. David recognizes that the basis for God's forgiveness is God's character, that he is dead to rights, there is no question. David is guilty, and the guilt is big. Yet he knows he can come before God because of God's covenantal love for him, and not on David's worthiness as king or child of God. That covenantal love, there it is again, that word hesed we talk about all the time. It's God's promise to never, ever leave you, faithful, undying love. Not only is that, but God's love, God's forgiveness here is founded in his deep compassion for his children. Deep compassion. Not only does God have the means to forgive. Not only does God have the ability to forgive, but God wants to forgive us. When we come before God, he's ready and waiting. His heart breaks when we sin against him. His heart breaks. Think of the father and the prodigal son. He's standing and watching the horizon as he sees the son who's gone off and lived his own way and done his own thing. And as he sees the son coming, he runs to meet him this is God's approach this is God's posture towards us sinners when we mess up and we come before God when we return home to our father he runs to meet us not only that but when God forgives it is total complete and forever It says blot out my transgressions Lord that word means to eradicate to erase from memory it's used in Isaiah 38 25 he says I God speaking I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own name's sake and I will remember your sins no more that when we sin against God and we have confessed our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ it's as far as east is from west as east is from west Psalm 103 says as far, in fact, that's the term they use, as far as east is from west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. Listen to what he says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. God is ready and waiting because of who he is, not because of who we are. In these first few verses, David uses three verbs or three words, I should say, that um, are used to basically synonymously, but there's some nuance for the word sin. So in the NASB, we see that he says, um, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. There's some nuance here that's kind of interesting for us to know because it does make a difference in the way we understand how God forgives. The first is transgression. This is the word pesha. Pesha means knowing that there's a boundary. A law has been established and willingly and knowingly overstepping that bound. God's saying, I told you not to cross this line, and you cross this line. You therefore become a transgressor of the law. The second word is avon or aon. It means iniquity. It's how it's translated. On yours it'll say guilt, I think is what we read this morning. But in the NASB it says iniquity. Iniquity is more of sinfulness generally. It's the uh, characteristic we have as a sinner okay who can't help but be a sinner because of our sin nature but it speaks to our guiltiness i also believe that it pertains somewhat to the idea of shame that when we're carrying shame around it's part of the iniquity that we feel and david's asking god to forgive him of that as well the third one is probably the most common word for sin it's chatat. Chatat means to miss the mark It's actually an archery word. It means that you're aiming towards a target. You fail to hit that target exactly where you should, and God's saying this is the way you should live life perfectly according to my righteous standard. That's the target. But we all miss it. We all miss it. That's the word David uses here. Why is this important? There is no category of wrongdoing in your life that God's grace is not able to forgive. Whether you did something you shouldn't have, whether it's the shame of doing something you knew you should have done and did it, or whether you failed in your best try, nothing prevents God from extending his grace in Jesus Christ to you in that sin, nothing. My time in prison, I spoke to a lot of people about Jesus Christ. That was my ministry when I was there. And you don't know how many times I heard people say, You don't know what I did. Often it was this Yeah, I'm in prison for this. But I know it's for this. No one knows about this except the person that I hurt, probably. No one knows. There's no category of our sin that Jesus has not paid for. He has paid it all. Every sin, every misstep, every transgression, every violation, now and forever. The scripture says, by one sacrifice, once for all, Christ died for sin. Think about that for a minute. That means that the sin you committed before you were saved, Jesus had in his mind when he died on that cross. The sin you committed yesterday after walking with the Lord for years and years was in the mind of Christ when he died on the cross. And the sin you will surely commit in the future. God has forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all. Talk about security. Talking about covenantal love and undying dedication to us. That is God's love and forgiveness. That is God's love and forgiveness. So I have a question. What are you seeking to fuel your forgiveness with? Let me give you some examples. Maybe good works. I know there have been times in my life where I have messed up, and I said, oh, I better get to double time on all of my ministry endeavors. I better speak nicely to everyone that I see. I better be kind to my kids. I better be thoughtful to my wife. I better say the most profound erudite things as the pastor of this church. Meaningless. They're meaningless. Think about it. What about penance? Self-flagellation. Whipping yourself, how could I have done that? Maybe the more I hurt myself, the more God will forgive me. No penance that you can bring to bear on your life exceeds the penance paid by Jesus Christ on your behalf. None. How about ignoring? Maybe if I pretend it's not there long enough, it will go away. There is no statute of limitations on our sin. Okay. God forgives it all. And then, of course, ministry. I've worked in this ministry for so many years. I dabble in this area of sin. But as long as I keep doing what God has called me to do, it will balance out. It will balance out. Jesus has paid it all. Fuel your forgiveness by God's grace, saying, Lord, behold, be gracious unto me. There's nothing I can do because I'm a sinner. Since God fuels our forgiveness by grace, we also need to fuel our confession by grace. This is the second principle out of the text, verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David knows exactly, exactly what he did. Now Nathan approaches him and says, this is what I know, this is what you've done, God has revealed this to me, but many of you know when we sin, there's often many ulterior motives that are buried deep in there. Why did I do this? David is saying, I, f- I know full well. Some translations say, I myself know. I know my transgression. You see, our secret sins are not secret to God. You ever live life like that? God doesn't see. God doesn't know. For someone who's not saved by grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ, that can be a terrifying idea. That god knows everything but the grace that god has given to us in jesus christ moves us to let god see it all despite he already knows saying god look upon me and my transgression and my sin because of christ i can do this fuel your confession with god's grace He says, my sin is ever before me. About a year elapsed between the time with Bathsheba and Nathan's reproach, his rebuke, a year. He says, I've carried this around. Maybe you can relate to David. Are you carrying something now? Or have you ever tried to carry a guilty conscience for any amount of time? As a kid, I was a liar. I was a liar, no question. My mom and dad will say it, (laughs) and I know it. I know, my sin is ever before me. I was a liar. I'd lie about things I didn't have to lie about. I'd lie about lying so I could lie again later, okay? But the guilt, the guilt, all they had to say was, Adam, I did it. I did it. When I got in trouble with the law, they walked into the interrogation room and said, Adam, I did it. I didn't even try. I didn't even try. Some of you are carrying the weight of that guilt I can't carry it, and I know you can't either. You weren't made to. God wants you to give it to him and to trust Christ for your salvation, releasing it and letting it go. Look what David does next in verse four. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, he frames his sin entirely as an act against God. We can ask ourselves, well, how is that? He did all of these horrific, you know, tell that to Uriah. You know, Uriah is sort of feeling the brunt of this sin as well. This is the truth. The truth is, is no matter what we do here on earth, first of all, there are no victimless crimes. God becomes a victim when we sin against him. And stated another way, when we sin, we sin against God primarily first and foremost. It's against God. When we seek to live a life that tries to prevent our sin from impacting others and we think we succeeded, we actually have failed. When we try to address our sins by looking at consequences instead of looking at it as a violation first and foremost against God, we will surely fail. It's only when we come to a place of repentance and we look to God and we say, God, it's against you and only you have I sinned. That by God's grace, we begin to have control over that which feels like we have no control over But we rarely do this, often because it seems the consequences of the sin are so obvious here. You know, it's like, well, I don't think about sinning against God because everyone's mad at me. (laughs) This is what's in front and center. But there's so much more to the story. (laughs) The consequences of our sin not only do we violate God's glory, not only do we relationally create a barrier between our Heavenly Father and us, it's a breach of trust with our Savior. And think about this this is not a guilt moment this is a eyes wide open moment this is a throwing you on god's grace moment if jesus paid for every sin that his children would commit the sin we're committing now jesus felt on the cross jesus felt the sin that we're committing now and so when we're tempted While we have to rely 100% on God's grace and the Holy Spirit's ability to walk us through and to find the way of escape. In the end, there's good reason. There's more reason that we should not sin. It literally hurt Jesus. It's definitely something to think about. David says, I'm dead to rights. There's nothing I can do. I'm totally wrong. In verse 5, he says, Not only did I act wrong, look at 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, David's not confessing here that he was born by a sinful union between his mother and father. What he's confessing is, is that he is innate from his very conception a sinner. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin came into the world. The scripture tells us that being our forefathers sinned, our mother and father sinned, that that sin was transmitted to the rest of all mankind, and therefore all of us sin. Not only that, there's no, who's not sinned in here? Anybody? Where we got it really doesn't matter. The point is, is that we're sinners. We're sinners. But he's confessing that there's nothing he can do because it's who he is. He confesses that he is, the, word, the theologians would say, totally depraved, that sin has infected every aspect of his being. Because of the sin nature that's within us. Verse 6, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. and in the innermost part, you will make me to know wisdom. He's saying, not only am I born this way as a sinner, but you demand perfection. You demand me to do the right thing for the right reason. There's a mismatch between what David is capable of bringing and what God demands. That alone should throw us on the grace and mercy of God. God demands this, the best we can bring is this. The rest is the grace of Jesus Christ. The only answer is grace. So what are you fueling your confessions with? I want you to think about this with me. Excuses? Sometimes we hide excuses and call them reasons. And try to say, well, I'm not excusing, I'm just telling you. Blaming? Shame? You see, we can openly and totally confess our sins before God because we are forgiven by grace, regardless of the size or severity of the sin. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Does it? Well, there's good news. Even our feelings of forgiveness need to be fueled by grace. Even our feelings of forgiveness need to be fueled by grace. This is our third principle. Fuel your restoration with God's grace. Fuel your restoration with God's grace. Now, I say that well aware that it's God who restores. What I'm saying here is that we need to embrace what he's given us by faith and believe him for what he said to be true about how we have been cured, how we have been purified, and how we have been cleansed. Okay. Look at verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You see, for the Christian, hyssop points us back to the death of Christ on the cross, our Passover lamb. One of the first mentions of Hyssop is the Bible is in the book of Gen- in the book of Exodus, when uh, God brings the plagues upon the people of Egypt, because Pharaoh will not let the Hebrews go. And so at the last plague, all of the firstborn of everyone, every firstborn male, including animal, Jew and Egyptian, will be struck down by the angel of death. But God says, you'll take a lamb, you'll sacrifice the lamb, you'll put blood over the doorposts and upon the lintel of your house, and the angel of death passes over. Remember we talked about this last week. will hover and protect you as the destroyer passes. What did they apply the blood on the doorposts and the lintel with? A bunch of hyssop. Hyssop. So bringing that forward into our Christian life, hyssop is almost a type of faith. It tells us that by faith, we're applying the blood to the lintel and doorposts of our heart. And that on that day, when all things are made known, and we stand before God, God will protect us from his very own wrath because of the blood of Jesus Christ. David says, make me to hear joy in verse 8 and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from your sins and blot out all my iniquities. I don't know about you, but have you ever been so guilty you felt sick? Or have you ever carried such a burden that impacted you physically? There's many places in the scripture that talks about this, that when we're carrying guilt, that when we're carrying a burden of sin, that God often places his hand heavy upon us. And that translates into spiritual and even physical pain which is intended to bring us to a place of repentance and confession. And David is saying, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face. Do you hear all of these imperatives as David speaks? David's saying, God, you got to do it. Make me to hear gladness. Make me to rejoice. Blot out my sin. Purify me from my iniquity. Hide your face from my sins. It's all God doing everything. Only God can give him even feelings of joy and gladness. This requires grace. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David's asking for a heart change. Lord, I just don't want to be sorry. I just don't want to be forgiven for this sin. I want to be different. I don't know about you, but that's been my heart's cry since I came to know the Lord. Lord, make me like Jesus and do it quickly. Because I keep messing up. I keep feeling badly. Lord, make me like Christ. It's a dangerous prayer. Because God makes us like Jesus through hardship. It takes a whole life to become like Christ. When we stand before God, we'll be conformed to his image. And we will see Christ as he is. And he will see us as we are perfect in his eyes. But David is saying, I have this proclivity to sin. Lord, root out this seed of iniquity. This is why when I preach, when I talk to you individually, it's go deep. Go deep, why? And then answer that and then ask why again. And then answer that and ask why again. we got to go deep. David's saying, make me willing again. This might be a prayer for the apathetic. Maybe you just don't care right now. I'm not shaming you. I feel this way sometimes. The cry of the apathetic heart is, Lord, make me want what you want. Restore to me the joy, that pink cloud feeling when I first got saved again. And it's such sweetness when it happens. I know it's God doing it. When I say, oh, there it is, God, that's you doing that. That's you doing that. He says, cast me a knot away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knows his guilt and his shame, and it's created a gulf between he and God. But David here does not probably have eternal salvation in view. There's two things to note, because we might say, oh my gosh, if I sin big, then there's a possibility that God's going to leave me, that God's not going to be here. The scripture says that the believer is eternally secure in Christ by faith. If we've truly embraced Jesus's life and death as our own, and we place our trust in Christ, something happens. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, giving us a new heart and making us a new person, declaring us God's child. Nevertheless, when we sin, it sure feels like God is gone, doesn't it? It sure feels like that. It's because even though we are eternally secure, that we're saved from our ultimate demise in in the judgment of Christ by the blood of Christ when we trust in him, we still have that wedge of sin and disobedience that can drive itself through the relationship with our father. With our father. David's saying, Lord, don't leave me. Think about that. He's king of a country. I get overwhelmed leading a church. Let A family? I get overwhelmed leading a family. This guy's leading a country. He can only do it by the power of God. Lord, do not leave me, he says. Do not depart from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. David knows that it's hard to find joy amid a guilty conscience. God is, has to break through his shame. The weight of his sins preventing him from feeling that joy. So what are you fueling? Let's ask this question again. What are you fueling your feelings of restoration with? How, and stated another way, how are you trying to feel better? Are you admitting your sin, confessing your sin, but then shopping in order to feel better? I say that tongue in cheek, but I was on Amazon this week. I got to tell you, I had to tell myself no a lot. But maybe shopping's not your thing. Maybe golfing's your thing. I feel terrible, so I'm gonna go hit a round. Or drinking, or smoking, or fill in the blank. Your go to feel better medicine. You know what I'm talking about, because it's different for all of us. Maybe the way you look, your physical fitness, your wardrobe, maybe your time. Your time. Or maybe you're trying to feel better by works. But the truth is, if you're trying to fuel your restoration and your feelings by anything other than grace, you're putting diesel into a heart that's meant to run on unleaded. Fuel your feelings by grace. Look to God to give you the grace to have the feelings that come with your salvation. Lord, you got to make me feel this way. Because if it's from me, it's not going to happen. God, you have to do it. Know that even the shame of your sin was placed on Jesus Christ. Think about that. We talk about sin a lot when Christ is hanging on the cross, that he died as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows that bore our shame. That means that upon the cross, not only did Christ pay for the sin debt that we had, he paid the shame debt that we have. That when we sin, the shame we feel was already paid for. And when we look to God in grace, we can put it down. We can put it down. Finally, not only do we fuel our restoration with grace, we need to fuel our worship with grace. And this is really the key element of our everyday worship series. Listen to what David says. Fuel your worship with God's grace. 13. Then, namely, after you have forgiven me, after you've restored the joy of my salvation, and after you've purified me, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will sing joyfully of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. You see, David looks ahead by faith to what will happen when God restores him, when God forgives him. He recognizes that his sin and forgiveness becomes, listen to this, your sin and forgiveness becomes the basis for your ministry. When I was locked up, people would say, they called me Doc. Doc, my life is over. My life is over. No one's going to hire me. No one's going to ever want to love me. And if they do, what kind of person are they going to be? My family's angry with me. I have no place to go. My life is over. And they were believers a lot of time. I said, listen to me, we need to capitalize on the mistakes we have made and make them for us instead against us. Part of the reason that you called me as the pastor of this church is because of my background. It's because of the, you know, horrendous, sins that I've committed in my life before I knew the Lord and the power of God's grace to break through that hardened heart to call a child to himself for his good purpose. Because either the gospel is real or it's not. Either God can break through any hardened heart, cover any sin, or we're playing pretend every Sunday morning at 10.15. There is nothing that God's grace will not cover. David looks ahead and he says, and I know your grace and what it's capable of doing. And then I will sing your praise. I will sing your praise and tell others of your ways. God, I sinned. Look at he put it in Psalm 51. This, his saying this is evidenced by him saying it. You have forgiven me, and I will declare your forgiveness to others. When's the last time you told somebody what God has forgiven you of? Most of the time, we keep all that covered up. It's a personal thing. It's very personal. Well, listen to me. If I can stand up here and tell you that I was a junkie who robbed people and went to prison as a result of it, and that's just the stuff that I got caught for, and I can declare what God is capable of doing, surely... You can tell others about the grace and mercy of God towards you. What if we did that? Imagine a life like that, fueled by grace, telling everyone, God forgave me. God forgave me, and he wants to forgive you too. That's a life fueled by grace. That's worship, everyday worship, fueled by grace. I bank on this promise. I bank on this. Lord, I feel like a terrible person because of the things I've done. God, no Adam, It's because of those things you are who you are. Now speak of my grace. David also recognizes here that sin can get in the way of ministry. Sin can get in the way of ministry. Sin has a way of closing our mouths. Because we say, or the accuser says, who are you to say that look I even feel it up here sometimes I'll preach a point and I'll say this is what you should do and in that very moment I hear a voice in my head that says hypocrite hypocrite you don't even do that that's why when I come up I tell you everything (laughs) I tell you everything The sin in our lives closes our mouths and prevents us from ministering. It prevents us from worshiping because that's really what our ministry is. Our ministry, our our action on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ is our worship. It's our ministry. We misunderstand the forgiveness of God and the grace of God when we hide our sin from others. So let's tell it. Let's first go to the Lord and say, Lord, my sin is ever before me. I know my sin. I know what I've done. Lord, only you can forgive me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Lord, clean me from my sin and from my shame and make me tell others about it. Open my mouth. Open my mouth. If our motivation for ministry is anything other then the grace of God found in our forgiveness through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, it's false motives. Whether it's pressure from others. Hey, can I do this. Hey, I think you'd be really great in children's ministry. I see this thing in you. I know, see, I'm giving you my whole rap right now, so now you're going to see me coming. Maybe it's personal fulfillment. I feel so good when I minister, so that's what I do. Maybe it's tradition. We've always done this. So we'll continue to do it. Or earning approval. Look, Think about how I'll look. <laughs> Money. Money. I remember when I was looking for work, looking through all of the job ads for ministry, Wondering, I wonder what they pay. Sometimes there'll be churches like, why don't you work 80 hours and the salary is 35000 It's like, swipe. What's our motivation for serving the Lord? 16. This is... Listen to 16. Listen to what David is confessing. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God does not need our sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. God did not need the sacrifices in the temple for the forgiveness of the Jews' sins. It's not as if when they sacrificed an animal that the person who had placed their sin upon them was literally and truly sin-free. It was a picture of the coming sacrifice, Jesus Christ. It was something for the mind of the sinner to say that something had to die. Someone had to die for the forgiveness of my sin, and that is entirely by grace David knows that God is interested in your heart, in his heart, not what we do here. This is where God looks. God would rather you come to him broken and empty-handed than with arrogance and a thousand personal sacrifices of wealth, works, religiosity. You know what I'm saying? Like we come to God and we say, Lord, I feel guilty, but look at I've led these ministries, all these kids have come to the Lord because of my ministry. I give all this money. I I don't tithe. I tithe plus 1%. I'm an 11 percenter. Somehow we're twisting God's arm. Or we say, Lord, look at everything that I've brought to you, these 99 things. You've heard me say this before. God's only response is, What's that thing in your pocket? What's that last one? Because that is the evidence of us trusting in something other than God. God wants our complete and total devotion and trust in Him. Let's finish up. Verse 18 and 19. By your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, David expands his personal prayer to a prayer for the people. To a prayer for the people. He prays that God would show his grace to Israel as well. And the result would be righteous worship. He says, after you have been gracious, then sacrifices will be made. Not, I will sacrifice then you will be gracious to us we can never forget that order God's grace then our sacrifice grace must fuel the worship of God's people and not sacrifice the only thing that will fuel our worship here at GBC is a clear and humble recognition an embrace of God's grace that we begin let me say continue I think we do a great job that we continue living up to our name grace Bible Church no sin is too great no sin is too small all need the grace of God in Jesus Christ anything else does not please God no matter how well we do it it's grace and grace alone so fuel your forgiveness with God's grace fuel your confession with God's grace fuel your restoration with God's grace and finally fuel your worship with God's grace so one last question What are you seeking to fuel your everyday worship with? The true, pure, high octane, unleaded fuel of the Holy Spirit and God's grace. Or the dirty, smoky, low octane diesel that your heart was never intended to run on. So let us pay attention the next time we seek to refuel our hearts. Let's pick the right nozzle. Let's pick the green nozzle and not the black. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us and mostly for your grace. Everything's for your grace. Lord, it's all by your grace that we're here because your grace were everything. Lord, when we worship you, whether it's from day to day or it's here on a Sunday morning, Lord, let us raise our hands and our hearts with the understanding that we do not have to be here. That out of your love and compassion, you blotted out our iniquities to your son, Jesus Christ. And so we can sing praises of joy and righteousness to your name. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes, theologians over the course of their life would write tomes about what they believed. And towards the end, they would write a whole other book and say, oh, all of these things I retract. This I said wrong. This I said wrong. So let me give you one right now. I said, pick the green nozzle. I blew my whole conclusion. (laughs) So go backwards, all right. Have grace on me. The black nozzle. Trust the Lord. God bless you. Pastor Adam here.